Now, as I was preparing this morning's message, I did have in mind at first the moms that were going to be in the room. Like, I just want to encourage you, show you a little gratitude, right? Because sometimes mothers can get, it can get overwhelming and it can get uh, discouraging and sometimes it can even be heartbreaking. And so I just wanted to encourage you. I just wanted to lift you up. I just wanted to give you a message that was like, you guys are awesome. You can do it. Give you a little pep in your step as you walk out the door today. And just like a good Hallmark card, it'd be, it'd be appreciated. I know it'd be appreciated, but very short-lived. Um, because uh, current statistics say that we're not okay. We're not okay, we are dealing with overwhelm and we're dealing with loneliness and we're dealing with depression and anxiety and all kinds of things. And, and moms, I want to speak to you for a minute. Like this message will be for everybody, but moms, I want you to zero in. Everybody else can talk to your neighbor or whatever. Um, I was thinking about this book, one of my favorite books that got turned into a movie. It's called The Help. And in this movie, um, a, a, a maid is looking into the eyes of one of the children that she is helping to raise. She says, you is kind, you is smart, you is important, and that is the gist of the message that I wanted to bring today. I wanted to look each one of you moms in the eyes and go, you is kind, you is smart, no matter what your kids say about you, you is important, but... Uh, I know that being a mother is not always easy. And if I'm honest, most of us come to Mother's Day with a myriad of different emotions. And so this is the message that I want to start uh, Mother's Day with. Let's watch this. Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a day to thank our moms and to celebrate motherhood. The world rushes around us in flower shops and scours greeting card displays, with some women approaching this day with a great sense of hope and pride. But there are others, others who shrink back, uncertain of how to engage such a triggering moment filled with hurt, sadness, or even tragedy. I have a question for you, and be honest. How do you really feel this Mother's Day? Today, as some of you celebrate great times, Others of you have more questions than answers. We want you to know that none of you are alone. This is for you. To those who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. And to those who have ever lost a child, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced miscarriage, failed adoption, or children running away, we mourn with you. To those who lost their mothers, we grieve with you. Same for Sorry. I'm so sorry. To those who walk the hard path of infertility with pokes, prods, fears, and tears, and disappointments, we mourn with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, 
who need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with their moms, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall test of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who step-parent, we walk with you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering children, we wait on and trust God with you. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not meant to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we both grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, we anticipate with you. But above all, but above all, but above all on this Mother's Day, as mothers and non-mothers alike, remember this. We are all daughters. A daughter birthed by our earthly parents, for sure. But in Christ, but in Christ, but in Christ, a beloved daughter of our Heavenly Father. So whatever you are facing on this day, remember this. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are valued. You are righteous. Not because of anything you have done or can do, but only because of what Jesus has already done. No amount of praise or gifts on this Mother's Day can compare to one drop of the precious blood Jesus gave for you. His work made you His, and He has given you an eternal identity. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter, in whom He is well pleased. Happy Mother's Day. 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 Happy Daughter's Day. Great job. I was hoping if I didn't watch that, it wouldn't make me emotional. <laughs> no, it didn't work. Uh, today, all of us, not just moms, but dads and grandparents and singles and teens, we all desperately need not a motivational speech that's going to make us happy for a moment. We need a firm foundation on which we can stand. We need a refuge. We need an embrace that holds on and doesn't let go. And so today... I pray that we find a place to rest our hearts and rest our minds as we remember together that God sees us, that he provides for us, that he is faithful to keep his promises, and that we're never alone. We're going to see this through a story of a mother named Hagar. Now, if you know your Bibles, then you're probably thinking, what in the world? <laughs> Hagar? Because if I'm honest, I love the Word of God. Like, I love Scripture, but I have never liked the story of Hagar, <laughs> ever. It's one of those when you're going through, you're like, you're like playing your Bible in a year, you just kind of blah, 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 kind of skip through Hagar because it's just a hard story. It's one of those stories that doesn't land in the same place as what we know about the character of God. It's one of those stories where you feel like if a non-believer is reading it, you kind of got to make excuses for God. Like, I know he looks mean in that story, but he's not mean. I know he looks cold and distant in that story, but he's not cold and distant. Because when you read the story, it's hard. And we're going to read it together. But I pray that today, that you see God's goodness and his grace and his provision all throughout this part 
of his story. So we're going to jump in and see who Hagar was. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 16, starting with verse 1. It'll also be on the screen for you heathens out there that didn't bring your Bible. I'm just kidding. Okay, here we go. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Now remember, Abram was the guy that God chose, called out of his homeland, and promised to make a brand new nation out of him. He was going to lead him to the promised land. He was going to make a great nation of him. Now, Abram and Sarai were old at this point, right? Like 75 Abram was, and I don't know how old Sarai was, somewhere around there. But anyway, they're old, and God says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to lead you to a promised land, and through you is going to come a blessing that will bless the entire world. And when God promised these things, Abram and Sarai trusted God right? They were old, but they assumed that God was going to bless their marriage and that the nation would start from natural born children. But 10 years had gone by and they weren't getting any younger. You know what I'm talking about? And still not even one child. Did we hear God wrongly? Is maybe, is maybe God waiting on us to do something? And there's a whole sermon up in here, but we're going to move on, Right? So Abram and Sarai decided to take matters into their own hands and force Sarai's servant into a surrogate pregnancy. Now, this sounds horrible. Back then, this was not unheard of, but I want to make clear, God is sovereign, but this was not his plan for Abram and Sarai. When we read in scripture, it is clear that God meant to bless their marriage, their union, and that this nation would start through natural born children. But the couple grew impatient in the process and dragged Hagar into their sin. So the Bible has always been honest about the poor choices of, of God's children. I appreciate that about the Bible. It makes me believe that it's true because they're not all shiny and perfect people. Um, and this was kind of a doozy. But I have to say on the other side of it that I'm so thankful that God does not define us by our worst sins. Anyone with me on that one? Now, culturally, Hagar was a nobody, a slave probably given to Abram and Sarai during their time in Egypt by Pharaoh. She had no choice but to go along with this plan. The Bible says that once Hagar became pregnant, she uh, looked upon Sarai with contempt. And because of that, and maybe a little jealousy, Sarai treated her very harshly. So Hagar ran away from the abuse to certain death in the desert. She was pregnant, she was powerless, and she was utterly alone in the wilderness. And that's where God met her. Let's pick up the story. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. 
The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everybody and everybody's hand is going to be against him and he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So the first point is, God sees you. He hasn't turned away. He's not distant. He sees you and he sees your circumstances. Never forget in your highest joys and in your darkest moments, God loves you. He sees you. He sees your circumstances. You know what's awesome about this part of the scripture? It's not up there, but anyway. Many theologians, not all of them, but many think that the angel of the Lord in this passage is God himself with Hagar. What grace. That not only does he hear her cries of affliction and pay attention to this nobody, but that amazingly, a runaway slave girl was the first recorded appearance of God showing up face to face. Others had heard his voice. Others had seen visions. But here we have God in person. God sees her and gives her his presence. What more do we need? Hagar was also the first to give God a name. El Roy in the Hebrew language. Now I know you're thinking of the Jetsons. Like his boy El Roy. Nerp. It's spelled E-L-R-O-I, El-Roy, which means the God who sees. Hagar is the first to give God a name. In this recorded account, Abram and Sarah never call Hagar by name, but God does. So moms, single moms, stepmoms, foster moms, grandmothers who are raising their grandchildren moms, God sees you. He sees the bajillion unseen sacrifices you make on a daily basis. He knows your deepest needs and desires. He knows your hopes and your worries, your dreams, and he offers you himself. It's amazing. And a special word to those who have suffered miscarriage. If the first thing your baby ever saw was the face of Jesus, you're still a mama. God shows up with his comfort and his peace and his presence. And then we see that God told Hagar to give him the name Ishmael. Ishmael means God has heard. So every time she calls the name of her son, she remembers that the God of the universe has stooped down to see her. And to hear her. Theologian Charles Spurgeon said of you, you are looked at by God as much as if all throughout space there were not another creature but yourself. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you're doing in your present, you can trust that God loves you 
that his eye is on you. He sees you. So, Hagar trusted El Roy and went back to Abram and Sarah. Look at this. So, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And so, for the next 14 years, Ishmael was Abram's sole heir, full rights, full benefits, full everything, full inheritance, until the promise that God originally gave to Abram and Sarai. Now their names are changed in the story to Abraham and Sarah. Don't let that throw you. But the original promise was fulfilled, and the true child of the promise, Isaac, was born. So let's pick up the story. Listen to this. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make a son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So the true heir Isaac was taking his place, and Ishmael and Hagar were no longer needed. At this point, Isaac was two or three, and Ishmael was about 16. Now, the name Hagar means forsaken or the one who fears, and this is exactly the situation in which Hagar finds herself. Can you imagine it? Out of the blue, she's awakened one morning. She's given a packed bag and some water and told that they're no longer wanted. Forced to flee with her son from the only home he ever knew, Hagar wandered aimlessly in the desert until all of her earthly provisions ran out. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I can't watch him die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Sorry. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God mercifully shows up for a second time. He offers comfort, provision, and reminds Hagar of his plan for her and for her son. And she, an Egyptian slave woman, a nobody, would become the mother of a great nation. God was with the boy as he grew up. This is kind of finishing it up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So my next point is God has a plan and he keeps his promises. 
There's this meme that makes me laugh. It says, um, behind every great kid is a mom who's pretty sure she's messing it all up. <laughs> Can anyone, anyone relate to that? So many parents live with this underlying guilt and worry. Am I doing enough? Am I saying enough? Am I praying enough? Are they in the right schools? Are they on the right teams? How are my faults, my failures, my brokenness affecting my family? Am I messing my kids up? I want you to hear this. God loves your children. He loves your children way more than you even have the capacity to love them. And he has had a plan for them from before they were even born. Part of it is them being born into your family. It's part of his plan for your children. He loves them. Listen to these scriptures that give me great comfort. Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. And this one y'all could probably recite with me, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Look back at what, or think back to what Hagar, God tells Hagar. He says, do not be afraid. And I know I've mentioned this before, but I just want to say it again. There is some iteration of that phrase, do not be afraid, fear not, don't fear. Some iteration of that phrase is in the Bible 365 times. I love that. One time for every day of the year, God says, trust me, do not be afraid. I'm your God. Trust me. So God tells Hagar, don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, for I will make him into a great nation. You see, God had a plan for Ishmael the whole time. And our God is faithful to keep his promises. Parents, we definitely have the God-given privilege and responsibility of pointing our kids to Jesus by our words, by how we run our household, by what is prioritized in our household. But it's God who brings it to fruition. It's God who establishes steps. It's God who, who foreordained the good works that they're going to walk in. His plans in his time. And he can be trusted now, here's what I want you to see in this story. For every hard and unfair circumstance in Hagar's life, this is why I hated the story. Not hate, hate's a strong word, but I didn't like it at all. For every hard and unfair circumstance in Hagar's life, God turned it for good. He promises to do that in Romans 8. He works all things for the good of those who love him. And look at this. Seeing this is what redeemed this super hard story for me. Hagar was taken from her home in Egypt as a slave, a nobody, under a polytheistic culture. They believed in all the gods. But she was taken into a family that knew the Lord, 
She was introduced to the one true God. Hagar was forced to have a baby that for all she knew would become the property and be named by her owners. But God gifted her with a son that she was able to raise and she would become a great nation, the mother of a great nation. Hagar was abused and she fled to the desert, a place of certain death. But it was there she met Elroy, the God who sees. Hagar and her son were kicked out and abandoned, given scant provision for life. God showed up again and met her needs and guided them towards his plans for their future. God has a plan, and he keeps his promises. And lastly, God provides, and we can trust him. The world provided a packed bag and about four gallons of water for Hagar and her son. God provided a well in the middle of a desert. And when you and I find ourselves in the desert of overwhelm or loneliness or guilt or shame, El Roy, the God who sees, meets us right there, right there with his presence and his provision. I love this scripture from Isaiah. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness. If, if anyone has felt like they have walked through a wilderness, here's God's promise. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. Only God. Only God can turn our deserts into life-giving places. Only God can take those desert relationships and turn them into life-giving relationships. Only God can take desert situations and turn them into life-giving situations. Only God. So, we return to Him. We fall into His arms. We allow him to fill us with what the world, the world can't give us that. Only God. Let his living water refresh you. Because here's his promise. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. Charles Spurgeon theorized that the well was always there. And our Lord simply opened Hagar's eyes to see it. If Hagar had focused on her circumstances, she would have perished in the desert with her son. But by trusting the Lord, she was saved. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your circumstance? The Christian life is not a walk in the park. Sometimes it's like Jurassic Park, you know what I'm saying? Life can be hard. Are you focusing on the impossible? Or are you looking for God's provision, trusting that he is faithful? One pastor I love said that God starts at impossible 
we try and figure it out. We try and work the numbers. We try and do the things. And it's like, God's like, oh, bless it. Like, sit down, shut up. Let me do my thing, right? That's God. How are you looking and listening for him? Are you in the word? Daily? We desperately need that. Are you in a small group? Or on a ministry team? Sometimes that's how God brings his provision, is through others. Hagar was not simply the collateral damage of a couple rushing God's plan, but she was seen and she was protected. God had a plan for her and her son, and God sees you and has a plan for you and your family members. And I would point out, especially since we're doing this Life Together sermon series, We have something Hagar did not have. Brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't leave us to walk the hard path alone. He puts people around us. He's given us this gift called the church. This beautifully messy group of folks who love one another and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens. And in Colossians 3, Paul says, we put up with one another. Can I get an amen? It's been said that it takes a village to raise children. I disagree. It takes a church. So, to wrap up, you is kind. You is smart, no matter what your children say about you. You is important. But when life happens, and you need more than just a sweet sentiment that makes you smile, I pray that you remember the truths that we learned from this loved seen, protected, and provided for daughter of God named Hagar. No matter what you're facing in life, rest in the truth, the truth that God loves you. He sees you. He has a plan for you and your family that he is working out, listen to me, in his time. And he's provided this beautifully messy family to do it with. You can trust him. You can trust him. Trust him. And also, happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, we love you because you first loved us. And God, you see us and you know us and you have a plan for us. And God, it's just beyond our comprehension that you would set your affections on us, but you have at great cost. And so God, I thank you. I thank you. God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the one who showed up that said that you are here to bind up the brokenhearted. And so, God, no matter what we are going through, what emotions are elicited today, I pray that you'll be near. pray that you'll be very near, doing what only you can do. We trust you. We love you. It's in the precious and holy and powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful Mother's Day, a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week.